Welcome to the podcast series for the Journal of Neurophysiology. I'm Bill Yates, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal, and today we will be discussing the article, Case Studies in Neuroscience, a Dissociation of Balance and Posture, demonstrated by Camptochormia. This is the first accepted manuscript of our new article type, Case Studies in Neuroscience. We're very excited to talk with our authors. Let's meet our guests. Well, hi, I'm Rebecca St. George. I'm a neuroscientist from the University of Tasmania in Australia. And I'm Faye Horak. I'm professor of neurology at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. Your case study focused on a patient with camptochormia. What is this condition and how is it produced? Well, the word camptochormia comes from two Greek words, kampto, meaning to bend, and kormos, meaning trunk, so bending trunk, which fairly succinctly describes the standing posture. So people with this condition stand with their torso flexed forward from the lower spine. And this is not just a stoop or a hunching. It's quite a profound bending of at least a 45-degree angle. Although when lying down horizontally, their spine is straight. So there's no actual structural problem with the spine. And the cause can be tricky to work out. There's generally thought to be two ways in which the condition arises. Either there's some type of muscle pathology going on that results in weakness of the spinal extensor muscles, and these are the muscles that we need to be tonically active when we stand upright, or else there might be a disruption in how this tonic muscle activation is delivered to the muscles from some neurological cause. Now, a number of areas of the brain contribute to setting our muscle tone for standing, one of which is the basal ganglia which may be why it sometimes occurs in people that have Parkinson's disease. So around 10% of people with PD might develop camptochormia. But in the case that we tested, she seemed to have camptochormia with no obvious cause. Please provide a brief history of the patient described in the case study. This was a very interesting 81-year-old woman with camptochormia that started 20 years ago when she was 61 years old. And apart from her camptochormia, her flexed posture, her past medical history was really unremarkable. Her brain MRI was normal. She had no strokes, no evidence of Parkinson's signs like bradykinesia or rigidity or tremor. She had no dystonia. Her mental status was normal. Her deep tendon reflexes were intact. Sometimes she said she had back pain, but MRI of her lumbar thoracic spine resulted in no structural problems. And she did have in her muscles of her low back some fatty infiltration, and that could be due to years of standing in a flexed posture. What was interesting is that she described when she was in her early 60s, she was hiking one day, after which she had difficulty standing upright. She was walking, and suddenly she found herself flexed. And following this event, the symptoms kept on slowly getting worse over the years. Despite this, though, she has a very active lifestyle. She does water aerobics. She lives independently. She travels internationally. And how she does this is she has an erect posture when she uses a rolling walker or when she holds onto her partner's arm. And that gave us a hint that perhaps some sensory tricks could be useful to help her stand in upright posture. The key finding of your study is that balance and posture are not controls of the same neural process. What is the difference between balance and posture? Well, it can get a bit semantic, really, but it's generally understood that posture involves how we align the body segments with respect to each other and to external references. So, for example, people have been shown to align their bodies to various cues from the environment when they're standing. And generally, this is to the gravitational vertical. But visual cues and the support surface also can have some input. 
because with subtle manipulations, say by exposing someone to a visual scene of a room that is one or two degrees off vertical, the body will align to the visual scene, even though they will be standing at a slight angle without realising it. Whereas um, balance in the context of human standing and walking is essentially the ability to avoid falling over. And this comes about through a complex mix of sensory motor reflexes that are triggered when balance becomes threatened. Now, balance and body posture are obviously tightly linked. So our balance system may need to respond to a change of body posture. And also when balance is threatened, changes in body posture may occur in either anticipation of this threat or following an actual instability. So despite this intimate relationship between the two, the mechanisms by which the central nervous system controls our balance and posture for standing may be different. So this Camp de Cormier case clearly had an impairment in her control of postural alignment, and we were interested in seeing to what extent her balance control was also affected. What observations led you to conclude that balance and posture are controlled through different neural processes? We rigorously tested many aspects of her balance in standing and walking. So we made the floor slip out from under her and looked at the latencies in which she could recover. And we tested her sensory motor reflexes from visual, vestibular and proprioceptive systems. And we looked at how she controlled her centre of body mass and the ground reactive forces that she generated. So, for example, by making her stand in the dark, we could remove visual cues and look at how the proprioceptive and vestibular systems responded. We could also move the visual scene. We tilted her ankles in the direction of her sway. So, again, the proprioceptive cues became less useful and she had to rely more on vestibular cues. So, in all these sort of standard ways that we tried to destabilise balance, she performed very well. And it was clear that her sensory motor reflexes for balance were fine even for someone of her age. However, it was clear that there was a problem with her control of postural alignment. So the fact that posture was damaged and balanced was not implied that they are subserved by different neural processes. Now, when we asked her to, she could actually stand with her torso upright for a few minutes, although she said she had to focus quite hard to do so. And once she relaxed, her upper body slowly flexed forward over a couple of minutes. And we noticed during that time that while her hip and trunk were flexing forward, we could see that the reason she didn't lose her balance and just topple forward was because her ankle and knee joints were extending at a similar rate so that her centre of body mass stayed over her feet. So again, this demonstrated good balance responses. Now, the fact that she could stand upright when she said she focused hard or held onto her walk, as Faye mentioned, it made us wonder whether... It was the voluntary pathways from her brain to her muscles were intact, and it was just the involuntary pathways that set the muscle tone that were disrupted. So we measured the tone of her trunk muscles during upright standing using a device conceived and built by our co-author, Victor Gerfinkel. And sure enough, her muscle tone did appear to be abnormal. So we played around with a number of techniques in which her voluntary drive could be used to override the abnormal tonic muscle activity. And this is what the dystonia literature would call sensory tricks. So, for example, we had a small accelerometer attached to her trunk and she wore some headphones. So when she started to flex forward, a sound played higher in pitch, acting as a conscious reminder to correct her posture. And she was able to stay upright longer using this technique. 
Interestingly, when we distracted her from her body posture by having her count back by threes, then she flexed forward much more quickly. So it seemed once her attention was directed elsewhere, the upright posture could not be maintained. So it was clear that her muscle strength was sufficient to maintain upright posture, but this was only when it was activated with a conscious voluntary effort. What implications do your findings have in treating other patients with camptochormia? Well, one thing we can consider is rehabilitation that uses biofeedback. For example, right now we're doing a study in which we use small tactors that vibrate in response to body tilt. And we're seeing whether having that kind of biofeedback about body position could be used to correct upright posture. You could also use headphones for auditory cues or visual feedback. However, the studies still need to determine whether this kind of voluntary control that's augmented by sensory feedback can become automatic when it's used over time. Because having conscious control of your postural tone requires too much effort. And as soon as you become distracted, then it wouldn't work. However, you could have a biofeedback in which a patient could turn the biofeedback on and off as they wished. Otherwise, they may habituate to these kind of signals as well. But we think there's some potential for these voluntary pathways and sensory tricks to become automatic with practice. But we have to keep in mind that there may be more than one cause of camptochormia, and perhaps our patient was very unique in not having other signs that are often associated with it, for example, Parkinsonian sign. And so this kind of approach may benefit some people with camptochormia more than others. I'd like to thank our guests for participating in a discussion of the article, Case Studies in Neuroscience, a Dissociation of Balance and Posture Demonstrated by Camptochormia, part of the podcast series for the Journal of Neurophysiology. 